Chapter Four of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Full of sudden zeal for his own improvement, Ormond sat down at the foot of a tree, determined to make a list of all his faults and of all his good resolutions for the future. He took out his pencil and began on the back of a letter the following resolutions in a sad, scrawling hand and incorrect style. Harry Ormond's good resolutions. Resolved first that I will never drink more than blank number of glasses resolved secondly that i will cure myself of being passionate resolved thirdly that i will never keep low company resolved that i am too fond of flattery women's especially i like most to cure myself of that here he was interrupted by the sight of a little gossoon with a short stick tucked under his arm who came pattering on bare foot in a kind of pace indescribable to those who have never seen it it was something as like walking or running as chanting is to speaking or singing the answer i am from the black islands master harry and would have been back with you afore nightfall yesterday only he king corney was at the fair of frisky could not write till this morning in any way but has his service to ye master harry will be in it for ye by half after two with a bed and blanket for moriarty he bid me say on account he forgot to put it in the note in the sally cove the boat will be there a bow in the big lock fornent the spot where the firdale was cut last seraph by them rogues the dispatch from the king of the black islands was then produced from the messenger's bosom and it ran as follows dear harry what the mischief has come over cousin ulick to be banishing you from castle hermitage but since he conformed he was never the same man especially since his last mismarriage but no use moralizing he was always too much of a courtier for me come you to me my dear boy who is no courtier and you'll be received and embraced with open arms was i briarius the same way bring moriarty carroll if that's his name the boy you shot which has given you so much concern for which i like you the better and honour that boy who living or dying forbade to prosecute don't be surprised to see the roof the way it is since tuesday i wedged it up bodily without stirring a stick you'll see it from the boat standing three foot high above the walls waiting while i'm building up to it to get attics which i shall for next to nothing by my own contrivance meanwhile good dry lodging as usual for all friends at the palace he shall be well tended for you by sheila dunshocklin the mother of betty worth a hundred of her and we'll soon set him up again with the help of such a nurse as well as ever i'll engage for i'm a bit of a doctor you know as well as everything else but don't let any other doctor surgeon or apothecary be coming after him for your life for none ever gets a permit to land to my knowledge on the black islands to which i attribute under providence to say nothing of my own skill in practice the wonderful preservation of my people in health that and wood sorrel and another secret or two not to be committed to paper in a hurry 
all which i would not have written to you but am in the gout since four this morning held by the foot fast else i'd not be writing but would have gone every inch of the way for you myself in style in lieu of sending which is all i can do now my six-oared boat streamers flying and piper playing like mad for i would not have you becoming like a banished man but in all glory to cornelius o'shane commonly called king corny but no king to you only your hearty old friend heaven bless cornelius o'shane said harry ormond to himself as he finished this letter king or no king the most warm-hearted man on earth let the other be who he will then pressing this letter to his heart he put it up carefully and rising in haste he dropped the list of his faults that train of associations was completely broken and for the present completely forgotten nor was it likely to be soon renewed at the black islands especially in the palace where he was now going to take up his residence moriarty was laid on a bed and was transported with ormond in the six-oared boat streamers flying and piper playing across the lake to the islands moriarty's head ached terribly but he nevertheless enjoyed the playing of the pipes in his ear because of the air of triumph it gave master harry to go away in this grandeur in the face of the country king corney ordered the discharge of twelve guns on his landing which popped one after another gloriously the hospitable echoes as moriarty called them repeating the sound a horse decked with ribbons waited on the shore with king corney's compliments for prince harry as the boy who held the stirrup for ormond to mount said he was instructed to call him and to proclaim him prince harry throughout the island which he did by sound of horn the whole way they proceeded to the palace very much to the annoyance of the horse but all for the greater glory of the prince who managed his steed to the admiration of the shouting ragged multitude and of his majesty who sat in state in his gouty chair at the palace door he had had himself rolled out to welcome the coming guest by all that's princely cried he then that young harry ormond was intended for a prince he sits a horse so like myself and that horse requires a master hand to manage him ormond alighted the gracious cordial fatherly welcome with which he was received delighted his heart welcome prince my adopted son welcome to corney castle palace i would have said only for the constituted authorities of the post-office that might take exceptions and not be sending me my letters right as i am neither bishop nor arch i have in their blind eyes or conceptions no right lord help them to a temporal palace be that as it may come you in with me here into the big room and see there's the bed in the corner for your first object my boy your wounded chap and i'll visit his wound and fix it and him the first thing for ye the minute he comes up 
his majesty pointed to a bed in the corner of a large apartment whose beautiful painted ceiling and cornice and fine chimney-piece with caryatides of white marble ill accorded with the heaps of oats and corn the thrashing cloth and flail which lay on the floor it is intended for a drawing-room understand said king corney but till it is finished i use it for a granary or a barn when it would not be a barrack-room or hospital which last is most useful at present to this hospital moriarty was carefully conveyed here notwithstanding his gout which affected only his feet king corney dressed moriarty's wound with exquisite tenderness and skill for he had actually acquired knowledge and address in many arts with which none could have suspected him to have been in the least acquainted dinner was soon announced which was served up with such a strange mixture of profusion and carelessness as showed that the attendants who were numerous and ill-caparisoned were not much used to gala days the crowd who had accompanied moriarty into the house were admitted into the dining-room where they stood round the king prince and father joss the priest as the courtiers during the king's supper at versailles surrounded the king of france but these poor people were treated with more hospitality than were the courtiers of the french king for as soon as the dishes were removed their contents were generously distributed among the attendant multitude the people blessed both king and prince wishing them health and happiness long to reign over them and bowing suitably to his majesty the king and to his reverence the priest without standing upon the order of their going departed and now father joss said the king to the priest say grace and draw close and let me see you do justice to my claret or the whisky punch if you prefer and you prince harry we will set to it regally as long as you please till tea-time thought young harry till supper-time thought father joss till bed-time thought king corney at tea-time young harry in pursuance of his resolution the first rose but he was seized instantly and held down to his chair the royal command was laid upon him to sit still and be a good fellow moreover the door was locked so that there was no escape or retreat the next morning when he wakened with an aching head he recollected with disgust the figure of father joss and all the noisy mirth of the preceding night not without some self-contempt he asked himself what had become of his resolution the wounded boy was axin for you master harry said the girl who came in to open the shutters how is he cried harry starting up he is but soberly footnote but soberly not very well or in good spirits he got the night but middlin he consates he could not sleep because he did not get a sight of your honour afore he'd settle i tell him tis the change of beds which always hinders a body to sleep the first night 
the sense of having totally forgotten the poor fellow the contrast between this forgetfulness and the anxiety and contrition of the two preceding nights actually surprised ormond he could hardly believe that he was one and the same person then came excuses to himself gratitude common civility the peremptoriness of king corney his passionate temper when opposed on this tender point the locked door and two to one in short there was an impossibility in the circumstances of doing otherwise than what he had done but then the same impossibility the same circumstances might recur the next night and the next and so on the peremptory temper of king corney was not likely to alter and the moral obligation of gratitude would continue the same so that at nineteen was he to become from complaisance what his soul and body abhorred an habitual drunkard and what would become of lady annalee's interest in his fate or his improvement the two questions were not of equal importance but our hero was at this time far from having any just proportion in his reasoning it was well he reasoned at all the argument as to the obligation of gratitude the view he had taken of the never-ending nature of the evil which must be the consequence of beginning with weak complaisance above all the feeling that he had so lost his reason as not only to forget moriarty but to have been again incapable of commanding his passions if anything had occurred to cross his temper determined ormond to make a firm resistance on the next occasion that should occur it did occur the very next night after a dinner given to his chief tenants and the genteel people of the islands a dinner in honour and in introduction of his adopted son king corney gave a toast to the prince presumptive as he now styled him a bumper toast soon afterwards he detected daylight in harry's glass and cursing it properly he insisted on flowing bowls and full glasses what are you prince presumptuous cried he with a half angry and astonished look would you resist and contradict your father and king at his own table after dinner down with the glass farther and steady resistance changed the jesting tone and half-angry look of king corney into sullen silence and a black portentous brow of serious displeasure after a decent time of sitting the bottle passing him without farther importunity ormond rose it was a hard struggle for in the face of his benefactor he saw reproach and rage bursting from every feature still he moved on towards the door he heard the words sneaking off sober let him sneak ormond had his hand on the lock of the door it was a bad lock and opened with difficulty there's gratitude for you no heart after all i mistook him ormond turned back and firmly standing and firmly speaking he said you did not mistake me formerly sir but you mistake me now sneaking 
is there any man here sober or drunk continued he impetuously approaching the table and looking round full in every face is there any man here dares to say so but yourself you you my benefactor my friend you have said it think it you did not you could not but say it you may you may say what you will to harry ormond bound to you as he is bound hand and foot and heart ay trample on him as you will you may no heart oblige me gentlemen some of you cried he his anger rising and his eyes kindling as he spoke some of you gentlemen if any of you think so oblige me by saying so no gratitude sir turning from them and addressing himself to the old man who held an untasted glass of claret as he listened no gratitude have not i try me try me to the death you have tried me to the quick of the heart and i have borne it he could bear it no longer he threw himself into the vacant chair flung out his arms on the table and laying his face down upon them wept aloud cornelius o'shane pushed the wine away i've wronged the boy grievously said he and forgetting the gout he rose from his chair hobbled to him and leaning over him harry tis i look up my own boy and say you forgive me or i'll never forgive myself that's well continued he as harry looked up and gave him his hand that's well you've taken the twinge out of my heart worse than the gout not a drop of gall or malice in your nature nor ever was more than in the child unborn but see i'll tell you what you'll do now harry to settle all things and lest the fit should take me ever to be mad with you on this score again you don't choose to drink more than's becoming well you're right and i'm wrong twould be a burning shame of me to make of you what i have made of myself we must do only as well as we can but i will ensure you against the future and before we take another glass there's the priest and you tom farrelly there step you for my swearing-book harry ormond you shall take an oath against drinking more glasses than you please evermore and then you're safe from me but stay you are a heretic oh, what am i saying twas seeing the priest put that word heretic in my head you're not a catholic i mean but an oath's an oath taken before priest or parson an oath taken how you will will operate but stay to make all easy tis i'll take it against drinking you king corney said father joss stopping his hand and in case of the gout in your stomach against drinking do you think i'd perjure myself no but against pressing him to it i'll take my oath i'll never ask him to drink another glass more than he likes the oath was taken and king corney concluded the ceremony by observing that after all there was no character he despised more than that of a sot but every gentleman knew that there was a wide and material difference betwixt a gentleman who was fond of his bottle and that unfortunate being an habitual drunkard 
for his own part it was his established rule never to go to bed without a proper quantity of liquor under his belt but he defied the universe to say he was ever known to be drunk at a court where such ingenious casuistry prevailed it was happy for our hero that an unqualifying oath now protected his resolution End of chapter 4